When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The poem says, Human voices wake us, and we drown. But I've made this podcast with the belief that human voices are what we need. And so, whether from a year or 3,000 years ago, whether poetry or prose, whether fiction or diary or biography, here are the best things we have ever thought, written, or said. I mentioned in the very first episode of The Great Myths that while I was going to be focusing on narratives and mythology as a way of delving into the history of religion, the other option that I could have chosen was to focus more on the liturgical and the ritual texts that we find in religions all over the world. One of the reasons I chose not to focus on those seems to be that uh, wherever we look, if we find a ritual text, it's to an outsider, they can seem extremely opaque. And unless you are either a scholar or a scholar in that religion or a, uh, a part of that religious community, it's very hard to get something from just a ritual text written on a page. What I would like to read from today happened to be uh, one of the most incredible collections of ritual and liturgical texts that I know of, and these are the pyramid texts of ancient Egypt. And for many reasons, uh, if we want to talk about Egyptian religion and want to use their own words and to find their own stories, we have to look here in the ritual and liturgical texts. One of the reasons for this is quite simple, and that is that the ancient Egyptians, almost more than any culture I know of, believed in the literal magic of words, especially when you consider that many of those words, especially those of the pyramid texts that I'll be reading, were incised on the walls of pyramids and in the walls and the decorations of temples. So there was in, there was in Egypt a, a very clear reticence about talking about any incidents where their gods were damaged or faced danger or even died. Uh, they did not want to put this into writing. And so those stories uh, cannot be found. Um, it's worth saying over and over again when it comes to Egyptian mythology that the place where we find, for instance, the narrative of the death of Osiris uh, is not in any Egyptian source, but in the uh, later writer Plutarch, writing, I believe, around the time uh, around AD 200. Um, we do not find that anywhere in Egypt in a sustained narrative. I believe you can probably piece it together from, from different texts. So that's the reason why we have to focus on the pyramid texts 
if we want to know anything about uh, Egyptian religion. I focus on the pyramid texts personally because I came upon them uh, 14 or 15 years ago while living in California uh, trying to get into this stuff and I really had no idea quite what I had found when I went to the library and found uh, an older translation of the pyramid texts by a man named Raymond Oliver Faulkner and it's sort of indescribable. Uh, it's like finding a new poet to love uh, sitting in a car on my break at work with the doors open and the sun coming in uh, these hot uh, California days reading from these pyramid texts and they inspired me to want to write to attempt to write prayers as poetry and poetry as prayers more than anything uh, has since uh, one of the other things I wanted to mention uh, before we get to actually reading the texts themselves is the idea that is uh, always seems to be hovering around that Egypt is death-obsessed. Uh, when I was living in California, there was a, uh, a talk radio host that I always enjoyed listening to. And just as I was beginning to study ancient Egyptian religion, I was actually reading the very first book I had ever bought on the subject. I heard him say once that uh, the, uh, the pyramids of the pharaohs were nothing more than giant tombs. And I hardly ever listened to that host or that show uh, after hearing that. And if I did, I didn't take much of what he said very seriously. Because all I was, I was barely 60 pages into one book about ancient Egyptian religion. And I could tell right away that this was simply not the case. Uh, Egypt, as I hope uh, the reading from the pyramid texts will show, is not death obsessed. It is not obsessed with uh, death in some morbid way. It is obsessed with life, with denying death, with denying death, uh, with denying the idea that death has occurred and with trying as much as humanly possible to convince themselves that life continues and life goes on. Uh, there's a very large difference between that and wandering around depressed, being obsessed with one's eventual death. Um, it's hard to know how much to say about something like the pyramid texts to those who aren't familiar with them in the first place. In a way, I think that the way uh, my entry into it might be the ideal one, where you just sort of jump in, not really knowing what you're doing, and just sort of swim in this material. Uh, but I did want to read a tiny bit from the introduction to the translation that I will be using. And I will post a link to the introduction uh, in the post description. Uh, the publisher of uh, this edition of the Pyramid Texts has placed the entire introduction online, and I'll post a link to that. And uh, the translator's name is James Allen, and this is what he has to say. I'll just skip around his introduction. It is uh, worth knowing at least a little bit of this before we dive in. He says, at the end of the Old Kingdom, the walls of the inner chambers and corridors of ancient Egyptian pyramids were inscribed with a series of ritual 
and magical spells known to modern scholarship as the pyramid texts. These inscriptions constitute the oldest body of Egyptian religious writings. Usually literary in form and in language, they are also the oldest representatives of Egyptian literature that survive. In both respects, the pyramid texts are primarily are primary sources for the history of ancient Egyptian thought and its relationship to that of the biblical world. To date, pyramid texts have been found in the tombs of ten kings and queens at Saqqara, the necropolis of the old kingdom capital of Memphis. Uh, the very earliest one, the uh, Pyramid of Unas, and he reigned from about 2353 to 2323 BC. And Alan goes on to say, after the end of the Old Kingdom, if not earlier, copies of the pyramid texts were also inscribed on tombs, sarcophagi, coffins, canopic chests, papyri, stelae, and other funerary monuments of non-royal Egyptians, along with new or revised texts known as the coffin texts. In the New Kingdom and later, some pyramid texts were incorporated into newer funerary compositions, such as the mouth-opening ritual and the Book of the Dead, and the texts continued to be used until the end of Pharaonic civilization. The end of Pharaonic civilization, by the way, being, uh, I would say, what is it, probably about uh, 200 BC or shortly thereafter, um, probably a little further on than that. But either way, what that's saying is that basically the same texts, the same spells, with some additions and some sort of juggling around, was used for almost 2,500 years. Uh, it's hard to imagine that kind of conservatism even in uh, our own religious life, but imagine from the year zero using very little other religious material except what was given to you at that moment back then. It's an incredible idea. And it's also incredible because if we believe uh, that writing was invented around 35 or 3100 BC, BCE, then that means that these earliest religious writings were inscribed not very long after the invention of language. It was seen that important to create texts like these. Uh, Allen goes on to say that the pyramid texts were first discovered in 1880 and uh, new ones have been found as recently as the year 2001. And he goes on to say this, although they are first attested in the pyramid of Unas, most of the pyramid texts are undoubtedly older with few exceptions, their grammar is that of a stage of the language that disappeared from secular inscriptions at least 50 years prior to Unus, and that the architecture of the pyramid chambers that the spells reflect came into use at the end of the fourth dynasty, more than a hundred years before Unus's time. Some of the texts also reflect burial practices that are even older than that, in earthen graves beneath tombs built of mud brick. So what we, what we have here is the idea that, if we say again, that Unas reigned from about 2323 BCE, that is when his reign ended, uh, we can push 
the pyramid texts that appear in his tomb, or many of them, back 200 years before that, and probably even further back for the ones that were never, uh, were never written down. Although the pyramid texts of the Old Kingdom were inscribed only in royal tombs, the texts themselves give evidence of a less exclusive use. Many of them were originally in the first person, meant to be spoken by the deceased spirit, and thus not restricted to a particular individual. Those addressed to the deceased by name occasionally preserve indications of a generic original, with directions to the celebrant indicating where the deceased's name was to be inserted. So what we have is, is almost a script that the Egyptian priests would have a copy of. And I believe this, is, this even happens with the Book of the Dead later on, where you almost have uh, uh, monks in the scriptorium kind of a situation going, where copies of the Book of the Dead were copied out and spaces were left for the names of the deceased. What do the, uh, what do the pyramid texts do? What is their, what is their purpose? Uh, Alan lays out the purpose very well, but first we have to talk about the Egyptian concept of the soul to understand what the pyramid texts do in relation to that soul. And this is what Alan has to say about that. The pyramid texts are largely concerned with the deceased's relationship to two gods, Osiris and the sun. Egyptologists once considered these two themes as independent views of the afterlife that had become fused in the pyramid texts, but more recent research has shown that both belong to a single concept of the deceased's eternal existence after death, a view of the afterlife that remained remarkably consistent throughout ancient Egyptian history. The ancient Egyptians believed that each human being consists of three basic parts, the physical body and two non-material elements known as the Ka and the Ba. The Ka is an individual's life force, the element that makes the difference between a living body and a dead one. Each person's Ka ultimately came from the Creator and returned to the gods at death. The Ba is comparable to the Western notion of the soul or personality, the feature that makes each person a unique individual, apart from the physical element of the body. At death, the Ka separated from the body. In order for an individual to survive as a spirit in the afterlife, the Ba had to be reunited with its Ka, its life force. And in the pyramid texts and elsewhere, the deceased are called those who, quote, have gone to their Ka's. So this is basically what the pyramid texts do. The function of the pyramid texts, Alan goes on to say, in common with all ancient Egyptian funerary literature, was to enable the deceased to become what's called an ach, by reuniting uh, the ba and the ka. Two forces played a key role in this transition, incorporated by the Egyptians into those two gods, the sun and Osiris. The sun was the original and daily source of all life. Its appearance at the creation, and at every sunrise thereafter, made life possible in the world. Ruling over the universe by day, the sun was identified with Horus, the god of kingship, and at sunset it was seen as Atum, the oldest of all the gods. The sun's daily movement through the sky 
was viewed as a journey from birth to death, and his rebirth at dawn was made possible through Osiris, the force of new life. What this all means, to come to one of Alan's simplest sentences, is that the concept of the afterlife in the pyramid texts is thus one of a daily journey from death to life. As I said, the ancient Egyptians were not death-obsessed. They were obsessed with the continuance of life. Allen goes on to say, since it was predicated on the sun's daily cycle of death and rebirth, the deceased's own afterlife was envisioned as a journey in company with the sun. The Egyptians understood the solar circuit as a circumnavigation of the world by a boat. They saw the world itself as a finite space bounded by land and sky. These two elements were personified respectively as the god Geb and the goddess Nut. This world was thought to exist within an infinite ocean called Nu, or waters, which was kept from engulfing the earth by the atmosphere, incorporated in the god Shu, whose name means both void and dry. The sky was seen as the surface of the cosmic ocean where it met the atmosphere, and the sun's daily journey through the sky therefore required a boat known as the day boat. The sun's apparent path across the sky throughout the year follows a 12-degree wide arc from east to west, known as the elliptic. The Egyptians saw this as a distinct feature of the sky, which they called the winding canal. The regions of the sky to its south was known as the Marsh of Reeds, and that to the north as the Marsh of Rest or Marsh of Offerings. These names reflect the Egyptians' experience of their own country, where the marshes of the delta gradually gave way to the Mediterranean Sea. Features within both regions were seen as islands, some inhabited by the imperishable stars in the north and the unwearying stars in the south, and others known as the mounds of Horus, Seth, and Osiris. And all of these terms, many of them, will be found in the readings that I am about to give. Uh, one other thing that Alan makes clear, he mentioned earlier about the architecture of the pyramids, the chambers and the corridors of the tombs, and how similar they are. And the idea is that the, the deceased's soul wakes every day and sort of makes its way from chamber to chamber, corridor to corridor, and out of the pyramid every day. And on its way out, makes use of the spells and the utterances and the poems that are carved into the walls of the pyramid. That is the basic layout and the basic idea, and uh, Alan goes into that in great detail. One last final thing, and I promise this is the last thing, is that finally here uh, we have a an idea of the afterlife, of the underworld and perhaps even of heaven, of what is going on above and below. If you remember the idea in uh, Gilgamesh when Enkidu dreams of the underworld, it's not even a hell where people are punished, but just sort of a dusty place where all the gods and all the regular people are just sort of moldering for eternity and depressed. There wasn't a great architecture or wasn't much world-building going on there. 
just in the same way there really isn't in uh, the Tanakh, um, where there's the mention of Sha'ol, but there isn't very much said about what that is. And the same thing in, in Greece, where when Odysseus goes to the underworld, it is again just sort of this dank, dreary place where people are depressed. And it's Achilles, isn't it, who says that he would rather be a slave on earth for a thousand years rather than a king of the underworld. And here, again, uh, with Egypt being so obsessed with the continuance of life, they have to make of death something grand and recurring and repeating over and over so that death cannot be the end, but rather life should be. So just to get a flavor of how the pyramid texts sound, here are just a handful of the spells or utterances that appear in the first pyramid that has these texts, the Pyramid of Unus. Someone has gone with his ka. Horus has gone with his ka. Seth has gone with his ka. Toth has gone with his ka. The god has gone with his ka. Osiris has gone with his ka. Eyes forward has gone with his ka. You too have gone with your ka. Ho Unus, your ka's arm is before you. Ho Unus, your ka's arm is after you. Ho Unus, your ka's foot is before you. Ho Unus, your ka's foot is after you. Osiris Unus, I have given you Horus's eye. Provide your face with it. Let the scent of Horus's eye disseminate to you. O you in charge of the bread production who belong to the flood, commend Unus to Fetetke, the cupbearer of the sun, whom the sun commended to himself, that the sun may commend him to the one in charge of provisioning for this year, that they may grab barley and give him beer, that they may grasp emmer and give him bread. For to Unus, his father is the one who gave barley and beer, the sun is the one who gave emmer and bread. For he is the great bull who struck Kenzet. For Unus is the one who has a quintet of meals in the enclosure, a triad is for the sky with the sun. A pair is for the earth with the dual ennead. He belongs to the one who was let loose. He is the one who was let loose. He belongs to the one who is seen. He is the one who is seen. O sun, it is better for him today than yesterday, for Unus has mated with moisture. Unus has kissed dryness. Unus has joined with fertility. Unus has mated with the young girl of his care. When grain and liquid were absent, and the young girl of the care of Unus is the one who will give bread to Unus and make it better for him today. And this sort of sounds to me like an ancient Egyptian Walt Whitman at the moment. But, uh, but for a purpose, giving the king food and denying the fact that the king has died and can no longer eat food.
Here's another. Awake, parter. Go on high, Toth. Awake, sleepers. Rouse, you and Kenzet. Before the great heron that comes from the garden, paths parter who comes from the tamarisk. The mouth of Unus is clean. The dual Ennead has cleaned Unus with natron, and his tongue in his mouth is clean. Unus's abomination is excrement. Unus rejects urine. Unus abominates his abomination. Unus's abomination is these two. He does not eat the abomination of these two, like Seth rejects the two that cross the sky. Sun and Toth, take Unus with you, that he may eat of what you eat of, that he may drink of what you drink of, that he may live on what you live on, that he may sit where you sit, that he may grow powerful from what you grow powerful from, that he may sail in what you sail in. The booth of Unus is plated of reeds. The flood of Unus is in the marsh of offerings. His feast is among you, gods. The water of Unus is wine, like the sun. Unus will circumnavigate the sky like the sun. Unus shall course the sky like Toth. Hunger is Unus's abomination. He does not eat it. Thirst is Unus's abomination. He does not drink it. Unus is, in fact, the one who will give bread to those who are. The milk goddess is his attendant. She is the one who will make it possible for him to live. She, in fact, is the one who bore Unus. Unus was conceived in the night. Unus was born in the night. He belongs to those who are in the sun's wake, who precede the morning god. Unus was conceived in Nu. He was born in Nu. He has come, having gotten for you bread of those he found there. And here is one that states it quite, uh, quite specifically, that uh, the king has not died, the king is still alive. Ho, Unus, you have not gone away dead, you have gone away alive. Sit on Osiris's chair with your baton in your arm and govern the living with your water-lily scepter in your arm, and govern those of the inaccessible places. Your lower arms are of Atum, your upper arms of Atum, your belly of Atum, your back of Atum, your rear of Atum, your legs of Atum, your face of Anubis. Horus's mounds shall serve you. Seth's mounds shall serve you. Ho, Unus, beware of the lake. Dispatches of your Ka have come for you. Dispatches of your father have come for you. Dispatches of the son have come for you, saying, Go in the wake of your son and become clean. Your bones, falcon goddesses in the sky, that you may exist beside the god and leave your house to your son of your begetting. Anyone who will speak bad of the name of Unus when you go forth, Geb has decreed him, a reject in the town of the pregnant one, turning back and becoming inert. But you shall become clean of the cool waters of the stars and board the sunboat on cords of metal, on the shoulders of Horus and his identity of the one who is in Sokar's boat. 
the populace will cry out to you once the imperishable stars have raised you aloft. Climb to the place where your father is, where Geb is, and he will give you what is on Horus's brow. You shall become Ach through it. You shall take control through it. You shall be through it at the fore of the Westerners. Ho Unus, your envoys have gone, your heralds have run, to your father, to Atum, to say for you. Atum, bring me up to you, encircle me inside your arms. There is no star god without his companion. I am your companion. See me, as you have seen the forms of the progeny who know their spells, the imperishable stars. And see in me the two in the palace, that is, Horus and Seth. May you spit on Horus's face for him and remove the injury against him. May you catch Seth's testicles for him and remove his hurt. That one has been born to you. This one has been conceived to you. For you have given birth to Horus in his identity, at which the earth shakes and the sky trembles. This one has no hurt. That one has no injury, and vice versa. You have no injury, Unus. You have no hurt. You have been born, Horus, to Osiris, but have become more Ba than he, more in control than he. You have been born, Seth, to Geb, but have become more Ba than he, more in control than he. No God's own seed has gone from life. You, his own, will not go. Son Atum will not give you to Osiris. He will not claim your mind. He will not have control of your heart. Son Atum will not give you to Horus. He will not claim your mind. He will not have control of your heart. Osiris, you cannot control him. Your son cannot control him. Horus, you cannot control him. Your father cannot control him. You belong, Unus, to that god of whom Atum's twin said, You are distinguished, they said, in your identity of a god. You shall become completed as every god, your head as Horus of the Duat, an imperishable star, your face as eyes forward, an imperishable star, your ears Atum's twins, an imperishable star. Your eyes, Atom's twins, an imperishable star. Your nose as the jackal, an imperishable star. Your teeth as Sopdu, an imperishable star. Your arms, Hapi and Duamatef. When you demand to go up to the sky, you go up. Your legs, Imseti and Kwebehensuf. When you demand to go down to the undersky, you go down. Your limbs, Atom's twins, an imperishable star. You will not perish. Your Ka will not perish. You are Ka. Someone has come to you, Nephthys. Someone has come to you, Nightboat. Someone has come to you, Pilot covered in gore. Someone has come to you, place where Ka's are remembered. May you remember him, this Unus. Orion has become encircled by the Duat, as the Living One became clean in the Achet. Sothis has become encircled by the Duat, as the Living One became clean in the Achet. This Unus 
has become encircled by the duat, as the living one became clean in the achet. He has become ach for them, he has grown cool for them, inside the arms of his father, inside the arms of Atum. Son Atum, this Unus has come to you, an imperishable ach, lord of the property of the place of the four papyrus columns. Your son has come to you, this Unus has come to you. You shall both traverse the above, after gathering in another world, and rise from the achet, from the place in which you have both become ach. Seth and Nephthys go, announce to the gods of the Nile Valley, as well as their achs, this Unus has come, an imperishable ach. Should he want you to die, you will die. Should he want you to live, you will live. Son Atum, Unus has come for you, an imperishable ach, lord of the property of the place of the four papyrus columns. Your son has come to you, this Unus has come to you. You shall traverse the above, after gathering the netherworld, and rise from the achet, from the place in which you have both become ach. Osiris and Isis, go, announce to the gods of the delta as well as their achs, this Unus has come, an imperishable ach, as the one who is to be worshipped, Osiris who is over the inundation. Let the achs and the water worship him. The one he wants to live, he will live. The one he wants to die, he will die. Son Atum, this Unus has come to you, an imperishable ach, lord of the property of the place of the four papyrus columns. Your son has come to you, this Unus has come to you. You shall both traverse the above, after gathering in the netherworld, and rise from the achet, from the place in which you have both become ach. Toth, go, announce to the gods of the west, as well as their achs. This Unus has come, an imperishable ach, arrayed on the neck as Anubis at the head of the western height, that he may claim minds and control hearts. The one he wants to live, he will live. The one he wants to die, he will die. Son, Atum, this Unus has come to you, an imperishable ach, lord of the property of the place of the four papyrus columns. Your son has come to you, this Unus has come to you, you shall both traverse the above, after gathering in the netherworld, and rise from the achet, from the place in which you have both become ach. Horus, go, announce to the Baas of East as well as their achs. This Unus has come, an imperishable ach, the one he wants to live, he will live, the one he wants to die, he will die. Son, Atum, your son has come to you. This Unus has come to you. Elevate him to you. Encircle him within your arms. He is your bodily son forever. And just a few more. It is good to just sort of uh, swim in this uh, longer than you think you should. Someone has become clean in the marsh of reeds. The sun has become clean in the marsh of reeds. Someone has become clean in the marsh of reeds. Unus has become clean in the marsh of reeds. The title of Unus is from the sun. Nut 
receive his title. Shu, raise it up. Shu, raise it up. Disturbance in the sky. We saw something new, say the original gods. Aeneid, Horus, is in the sunlight. Let those who have forms terrorize for him. Let Atum's dual Aeneid serve him as he sits on the seat of the Lord of all. Unus will acquire the sky and split open its basin. Unus will lead the path of the evolver. When Una sets in the west, those of the Duat will follow him. When Una shines anew in the east, he who parted the two contestants will come to him in obeisance. The gods will terrorize for Unas, since he is senior to the Great One and belongs to the control of his seat. Unas will acquire authoritative utterance. Continuity shall be fetched for him, and perception shall be set for him at his feet. Haul the skyboat for Unas, for he has acquired the Achet. Unas is Osiris in a dust devil. The ground is his abomination. He will not enter Geb. He will end his sleep with his bones broken in his enclosure on earth, and remove his obstructions. Unas has become clean through Horus's eye. His obstruction has been removed through Osiris's two kites, and Unas has released his outward flow in Kus. His sister Wajet, the lady of Peh, is in the one who cried for him, saying, Unas is off to the sky, Unas is off to the sky, and the wind, and the wind. He shall not be turned away, and there is none who will turn away from him. He shall not sit to be judged in the God's court. Unus is the one who is on his own, senior of the gods. His cake of bread is for above with the sun. His feast is from Nu. Unus is the one who turns back, going and coming with the sun and embracing his enclosures. Unus will assign cause and take away cause, set obstruction and remove obstruction. Unus will spend the day and night pacifying the two contestants with Adz and Hermopolis. His foot will not be crossed, his heart cannot be barred. Do not be ignorant of Unus, God, since you know me and he knows you and he knows you. Do not be ignorant of Unus, son, since you know him and he knows you. Do not be ignorant of Unus, son, who calls you great provision, Lord of all. Do not be ignorant of Unus, Toth, since you know him and he knows you. Do not be ignorant of Unus Toth, who calls you he who sets alone. Do not be ignorant of Unus, sharp Horus, since you know him and he knows you. Do not be ignorant of Unus, sharp Horus, who calls you difficult. Do not be ignorant of Unus, you of the Duat, since you know him and he knows you. Do not be ignorant of Unus, you of the Duat, who calls you he who wakes sound. Do not be ignorant of Unus, sky bull, since you know him and he knows you. Do not be ignorant of Unus, sky bull, who calls you this one who endures. Look, Unus has come. Look, 
Unus has come. Look, Unus has emerged. Unus has not come of his own accord. A dispatch having come for him. Unus has passed by his Ba's house. The great lake's wrath has missed him. There is no one who requires his fare for the great fairy. There is no one who bars him from the white palace of the great ones at the beaten path of stars. For look, Unus has reached the sky's height. Unus has seen his cobra in the night boat. Unus is the one who rose in it. He has recognized the Uraeus in the day boat. Unus is the one who bails it. The populace have witnessed him. The sky's hail clouds have taken him that they might elevate Unus to the sun. You have your heart, Osiris. You have your legs, Osiris. You have your arms, Osiris. Unus has his own heart. Unus has his own legs. Unus has his own arms. Let a footpath to the sky be laid down for him, that he might go up on it to the sky. He will go up on the smoke of a great sensing. Unus will fly as a bird and alight as a beetle. When he flies as a bird and alights as a beetle, it will be in the empty seat in your boat, son. Stand up and remove yourself, you who do not know the reeds, that Unus may sit in your seat. He will row in the sky in your boat, son. Unus will push off from land in your boat, son. When you are emerging from the Achet, he, with his baton in his arm, will be the one sailing your boat, son, that you may ascend to the sky and go away from the land, away from the earthly cares of wife and kilt. The fire has been set. The fire has arisen. The incense has been set. And the fire, the incense, has arisen. Your scent has come to Unus, incense. Unus's scent has come to you, incense. Your scent has come to Unus, gods. Unus's scent has come to you, gods. Unus shall be with you, gods. You shall be with Unus, gods. Unus shall live with you, gods. You shall live with Unus, gods. Unus shall desire you, gods. Desire him, gods. The wafer has come. The cap that comes from Horus's knee has come. The emerger has come. The emerger has come. The climber has come. The climber has come. The ascender has come. The ascender has come. Unus will go up on Isis's thigh. Unus will climb on Nephthys' thighs. Unus's father Atum will take the arm of Unus and allot Unus to those gods who are wise and experienced, the imperishable stars. Unus's mother Ippi, give this Unus that breast of yours, that this Unus may transport it to his mouth, and this Unus may suck that white, dazzling, sweet milk of yours. Yonder land in which Unus goes, Unus will not thirst in it, Unus will not hunger in it forever. And that is, I would say, maybe uh, 18 or 24 spells or utterances out of the 226 
that are in the pyramid of Unus. And after that, uh, for instance, just in this book, Unus's pyramid covers 60 pages, and the entire book of texts is close to 400 pages. So you can either be extremely glad that I've stopped reading, and can't imagine 400 pages of that, or you can imagine how thrilling it would be to spend a year or so, a little bit every night, uh, dipping into this. Um, I feel the same sort of rush of energy and inspiration as I did the first time I read these in a different translation uh, years ago. Uh, and now it, it almost feels like, uh, as I said, it feels like Walt Whitman, but it also sort of feels like peeking in to a, uh, uh, a Pentecostal meeting, uh, someone speaking in tongues, or just coming upon a religious service that is not my own and still being caught up in it somehow. And on top of that, there is also just the knowledge that these poems, these spells, these desperate pleas for life out of death are 4,500 years old at least. Um, and despite the, the haze and the gauze of the names of the specific gods and the things that are happening in the rituals and the places they're going to, we can still see this desperate, awful need to say that death is not the end. Um, I just don't know any of anything like this uh, anywhere in literature, and I hope that this small selection from it has been uh, fruitful to listen to. Any comments or suggestions for readings I should make in future episodes can be emailed to Human Voices Wake Us, the number one, at gmail.com. Links to each work used in this episode can be found in the episode description. If you enjoy Human Voices Wake Us, you can subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. The music here is Duke Ellington's Arabesque Cookie.